0: A rough morning this morning, uh, but I'm glad to be here, uh, continuing in this series in Proverbs. uh, But I want to start with uh, a quotable. Welcome to the good life, where cats that sell D won't even get pulled over in their new V. The good life. Let's go on a living spree shoot. They say the best things in life are free. The good life, it feels like Atlanta. Feels like L.A. It feels like Miami. It feels like N.Y. Summertime shy. Ah, now throw your hands up in the sky. So I roll through good. Y'all pop the trunk, I pop the hood. Ferrari. And she got the goods. If she got the, then I'm a look. Sorry. I hope y'all don't think this is my rhyme. <laughs> it's got to be because I'm seasoned. Haters give me those salty looks, Lowrie's. <laughs> Fifty told me go ahead and switch the style up, and if they hate, let them hate, and watch the money pile up. Ah. I go for mine. I got the shine. Now throw your hands up in the sky. I'm going to be on MTV, ma. I'm going to put it down. A ay, 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 ay. Verse 2. Welcome to the good life. Well, we like the girls who ain't on TV because they got more stuff than models. The good life. So keep it coming with the bottles. I guess that's an extra line that we didn't get. So she feel booze like she's bombed out at Apollo, the good life. It feels like Houston. It feels like Philly. It feels like D.C. It feels like V.A. or the Bay. Oh, yay, hey, This is the good life. Homie, tell me what's good. Why only get a problem when you in the hood? Like I'm new in the hood. The only thing I wish, I wish somebody would. He probably think he could, but I don't think he should. Fifty told me, go ahead and switch the style up. If they hate, let them hate and watch the money pile up. I go for mine. I got to shine. Throw your hands up in the sky. The Bible makes it clear. There's something called the good life. We're in the Proverbs. Wisdom literature. The wisdom literature that believes in something called the good life. But for the Proverbs, the good life is much different than Mr. Kanye West. The good life is always God life or godly life. It's an assumption in the Proverbs. Even if the writer didn't always live consistently with it, he acknowledges that good life, the good life, is always God life. And he acknowledges that you can't have the good life without God or godly life. Today, I have to admit, I wanted to just talk about trust as it's dealt with in the Proverbs. And I realized quickly that trust in the Proverbs is dealt with from a very contextualized standpoint, meaning I couldn't just say what I want about trust. I'm not going to just talk randomly about the topic of trust. Trust in the Proverbs is lodged as the key to the good life, which is always God life. Trust is something that you have to have and it's not just blanket trust, my goodness, or generic trust, but it's trust in an object that won't let you down. Turn with me to Proverbs. Proverbs 3. The book of Proverbs acknowledges, I'm good. Again, that there's this life that's available, and it's God's life because everyone lives in God's world. The book of Proverbs starts with the idea that, you know, all of us are in God's world. I don't know what world you're in, and I don't know what your beliefs are, but there's some things that are just set, and nobody can change that. Proverbs doesn't argue with people about God. In fact... The book of Proverbs, a lot, large part written by Solomon and a few otherwise uh, men, uh, the, the, the book of uh, Solomon believed uh, that he could learn from other people who didn't necessarily uh, believe in Yahweh. And so he sitting here saying all of us, even cats that don't believe in Yahweh, know that there's a God and that this is his world. It's crazy because we live in a day where we look back at pagan societies, we look back at the the, the polytheistic many gods of times past, and we think, I don't see how they they could believe that. They would look down the corridor at us with no God and say, I don't know how they could think that. In the book of Proverbs, God's world exposes the fact that He has a way about him, a way that's so set in order when, like my father used to say, we play basketball. And sometimes you go to the rack so hard that you run into the pole and you be like, whoa, like you almost knock yourself out. He'll say, guess what, son, that pole's not going to (laughs) move. I'd advise you. And so that's how the the book of Proverbs is. God's got some things set in order. And guess what? They're not going to move. And so the theme of Proverbs is, can you navigate in life skillfully? I always wish I could just go out to the desert and put me in one of those, like a NASCAR or something, where when I get out of control, I won't reap the consequences. Just put me in the desert. I just want to just go faster than I'm able to control. and then if I, But at least if I go out of control, I don't hit anybody or hit anyone. That's how this world thinks. The world thinks that they can jump in the car of life, they can get on the road, another theme in Proverbs, that everybody is on a road, everyone is on a path. You can get in your car and floor it, do what you want, do it however you want, to the the maximum, and you won't crash into anything. Proverbs says, one day you're going to crash into something called God's wisdom, and God's wisdom will expose who can handle the crash, (laughs) God says, my wisdom is the pole. I'm not going to move. I'd advise you to adjust, you to navigate. Nowhere do we see this quest of the good life than in chapter 3. And again, the good life is God's life. Uh, uh, the book of Second Peter calls it this, li- life and godliness. When you mix them together, it's basically godly life. Or a life that has God as a given. God at the core and all of his rules and regulations govern you, God doesn't sit down and discuss them. God's not there to remove. If anything, God is able to get into his own world and transcend them, but nobody without God will find themselves getting over on God. So we see the cross and we say, man, did we get over on God? I says, nah, I, t- I transcended my rules and my requirements By grace, I was able to do something that you wouldn't be able to do on your own. So today we start in chapter 3 with this idea of the trust issue. The trust issue. And the context is in people who recognize that life has some good stuff to offer. And I always want it. I like it. I want a nice family. I don't want a dysfunctional family. I want a good marriage. I don't want a marriage where next thing you know I'm in divorce court. I want good friends. I don't want friends that steal and then run before I can get out the door and leave me with the shoes. Uh, I, I, I I I want a nice block. I want my kids to go outside and not need a bulletproof vest. I want the good life. Proverbs says, well, there's a key to the good life. But it starts just recognizing that there is a quest for the good life. And that, that, that begins oh, song, uh, Proverbs chapter 3. Look, he says, my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. First of all, this quest for good life is used and dangled before Solomon's son, in our case, it's anyone who's under spiritual guidance or authority and wisdom and counsel. And he says, yo, this, there is this thing called length of days and there is this thing called peace or shalom, good life. Well, holistic being, not going outside and ducking and, and, and throwing on your, yo, can you walk me to the car because it's dark. That's not the good life. That's not shalom. He says, there is this thing, but it starts with a commitment to receiving godly content. Some people want the good life without being students or disciples of the God who made the world according to his wisdom. But he says, my son, don't forget my teaching. Now, in this context, Solomon or any person who's dishing out the wisdom is in a family context. And the family it will be the father talking to a son most of the time. And so he's saying, yo, I just want to school you because there is a thing called the good life. You are going to be on a quest for it. But it starts with you being committed to godly content. Now, chapter 3 is picking up where chapter 2 is sort of expanding it. So we go back. First is just receiving the godly content. Uh, Chapter 2, just to show you how 3 links and connects, it says in in verse 1, If you receive my words and treasure my commandments... Making your ear attentive to them. And he puts them on the grind for this godly content. Incline your heart. Call out for it. Seek it like silver. Search for it like hidden treasure. He says, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. The idea here is the good life and this quest for it doesn't come without you remaining committed to receiving godly content. The world thinks that they, they, they've got, they've arrived. They, we, some of us, we, we think we cannot receive, treasure, seek, grind for godly content, biblical knowledge. All of these are synonyms. Doctrine in the New Testament. The teachings. A body of information that communicates who God is who made this world. And what God requires. We think without that, we're still going to have the good life. We think we're still going to have a good marriage. We think we're still going to wind up with a good career, and we're still going to live long days and peacefully. He says, "My son, if you receive them and treasure these commandments, now Solomon also, of course, is from the Israel nation, so the Israeli nation, so he is familiar with knowledge that's disseminated in the home that's predicated on the law. And the prophets. So Solomon is familiar with the the, the five books of Moses. In fact, he uses the word commandments or teaching and he says that's the same word teaching is Torah. Which God has a Torah. And God is Father who, who gives his children his teachings. And so now the fathers of homes act like God to their kids and they give their Torah. But their Torah is God's Torah. So he says you must be willing to receive godly content. But then when we go back to our passage, 3 verse 1, it's not just receive it, but retain it. And so he says here in verse 3, chapter 3, verse 1, Do not forget my teaching. Let your hearts keep my commandments. The idea here is, you know how most people start off, they get it as a kid, but soon as college comes or soon as puberty comes or soon as they go off or they get old enough to sort of shake free from these commandments, all of a sudden they're secularists. They're individuals who just like the block. Individuals who just like America, who just like life minus God. He says, my son, I told you to grind for it. I told you to receive this godly wisdom, this content. But now I'm telling you, keep it. Don't outgrow it. Don't go off to college and say, never mind it. The idea here for forget is not slippage in memory. The idea is to lay it aside. It's like, I'll forget you. It ain't like, I'm not going to remember that. Forget you then. That ain't like, I'm going to forget you. Blink. Who are you? No. This is forget you. Like, I'm going to treat you like you don't matter. He says, don't say to the commandments, forget you. And remember, Proverbs has something to say about everything. He says, wait, the quest for the good life must have a commitment to receive godly content, which we got from the beginning of how he, uh, how he started chapter 2. But he picks up on that and expands it more and says in 3, but retain it. Keep. The idea of keep is nurture and care for it. That's another thing. We're talking about, as Christians, we want to be a people who don't just recite laws, who don't even just keep laws, like obey them. But who nurture and cherish it. We have a brother here, Shalin, always wants to make sure we have a high regard for the scripture. So before he reads any scripture, he'll say, and this is God's word. And he'll just begin to read the idea of like like treating it like it's special. In some places they say, please stand for the reading of God's word. David in Psalm 119 over and over again. David used to always talk about, I like your commandments. We, we don't like, nobody just likes the commandments of God. We don't want to protect them. In fact, we're always looking for a loophole out of God's commandments. Yeah, but what if I just... Well, but all we did was just, like, he says, yo, nurture these. Today I was just, I mean, just now, I, uh, just lately I've been on my face. And it's funny, when you're on your face before God and you realize, it's been a long time since I had to be here. It's this idea of, I forgot that this is the normal posture of the believer. I forgot this idea. like and But then God does something to make you have to do it. Then you feel funny when you're doing it because how did I ever forget to stay here? He says, my son, keep the commandments, stay like, remember, receive, retain it, nurture it, make it special. Talk highly of your commitment to purity. Not, yeah, we got to stay pure. Well, you know, because the Bible says it. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not supposed to burn. I'm not supposed to burn it. Well, simply because, you know. Whatever the commandments, feel good about it. Talk good about it. Look what he says. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness, verse 3, forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So not only is he committed to receiving godly content... Not only is he uh, committed to retaining godly comment, but he says on this quest for the good life, yo, you have to be down with reflecting godly character. The idea here of steadfast love and faith, he says, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you or be missing from you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. See, in the world of the Proverbs, you can't, I'd like to give glory to Jesus Christ and then go out and cut the fool. In the world of the Proverbs, you get his law, you sit down, you do go to church, quote unquote, you sit up under godly content, but then you, get, you leave church and you go out and you live it. And so he looks and he, said, he takes two attributes that are really God's and says, that's how we're supposed to be. It's a steadfast hesed is a steadfast love, a faithfulness out of love to God, a loyalty to God's covenant or God's arrangement with you. He says and faithfulness, reliability that we don't have to watch you to make sure you're going to stay loyal to God. We can leave the room and come back without the cameras and be comfortable. Some people you have to babysit them on the path because you know the path is diesel and it's hard to stay loyal to God in this era. So we have to like, watch, what are you doing? And we're peeking. He says, yo, let not steadfast love and faithfulness. This is also a way for him to say, be loyal to God, vertical, and be loyal to man, horizontal. Because steadfast love is in the Bible this idea that God is good. Not only is he faith, true to himself, but he's true to mankind. So we're like, yo, know, we're true to God and we're true to man. Yo, t- turn with me real quick uh, to Exodus chapter 34. I just want to see, show you that this concept of, of, of steadfast love and loyalty, which is supposed to be uh, our trait, God's people's trait. God's people's trait. He says, yo, reflect what's true about God in your own life. Look, uh, 34 verse 6. Let's start with 5. The Lord, let's start with 4. So Moses, so you know who we're talking about here and what the scene is. Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first. This is the second time Uh, the, The law was written and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him and took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. We'll come back to that. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God. Now, this is God talking about himself. Like, don't, like, catch this. This is what rocked me about God. This is what got me into it. When I started hearing him speak for himself about himself, I started liking when God talked to third person. Like, who's like me? Like, you know, you want, you want a God with a little swagger. You know what I mean? Like, you, you, you know, you want your God. Because everybody's God seems tough except the Christian's God, you know. And then God be like, what? Come on now. Watch this. Watch this. So he says, this is what he's saying about himself. The Lord. The Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping uh, excuse me uh, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But who will no by no excuse me, forgiving iniquity and transgressions, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. God's character unveiled on him, and he just had to worship. Now go back to Proverbs 3. Proverbs 3, he says, Son, there's something called the good life out there. And when you're on that quest, don't leave behind the reception of godly content pumping in your soul like an IV. Retain godly content, doctrine, truth about God, divine revelation, that which God had to tell his people. Says, retain it. Nurture it. Keep it. Then don't just receive and retain godly content, but reflect godly character. In other words, what he's saying is the good life comes to people who are godly. People who are under the scriptures and who live it. Don't think you're going to have the good life without that. But not only that, now he gets to not just the quest for the good life, but At the core of the good life. Let's look. Verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. The good life. At the core of the good life, he says something that all of us have heard before. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. I mean, you've heard that like you've heard, switch to Geico. You've heard it like you've heard, just say no, say no to drugs. This is your, like, that's old, right? Y'all I didn't say no to drugs. They don't even run that commercial. But every now and then, like, our age does start, like, showing on, you know, our, our commercials and Anyway. And so he looks and he says something, he says, trust the Lord. Now, this is easier said than done. Some of y'all are like, amen. Because trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding is not natural. We're broken. We're sons of Adam and Eve, the original not trusting the Lord's and leaning to their own understanding. The first thing Satan did was throw them into confusion about who they should listen to. And they said, I'm not listening to either one of you. I'm listening to me. And some of us are just happy we ain't listening to Satan. We're not listening to God. But at least I ain't listening to Satan. I'm listening to me. And you think you've done something. The world of the Proverbs puts that concept on blast. And he says here, you've got to trust in the Lord. So let's look at this issue of trust. First of all, trust is a total confidence in someone called the Lord. The Lord here is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Now back before we saw in Exodus 34, the Lord, the Lord, capital L's all the way across, all capitals. The Lord, first of all, is the God who makes covenant with people. So first of all, he says you can trust in the Lord because I'm telling you to trust in someone in particular. A covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. Now, trust in the Lord. We're going we're to deal with this thing. But he says, wait, trust is your confidence. Secondly, it's covenantal. It's with a God who's in particularly into making covenants and keeping them. You know... The Proverbs is much like Egyptian wisdom literature. It's much like Mesopotamian uh, literature. If you read some of theirs, you'll say, "Dag, Israel was biting off of them. And, like, most people will let you know, Israel sort of got this from just the way people did it in that day, and it didn't start with them. Hebrew culture didn't make up the Proverbs. They didn't make up the Psalm format. I mean, they had the, other people had almost the exact same Proverbs often. The exact same psalms, the ones that rock you, and you—this uh, uh, just speaks to my heart. Like, Amenemop, whatever Amen, uh, how you how you pronounce it? Amen. Uh, well, uh, Egyptian cat <laughs> <laughs> wrote something exactly the same. So he says, like, like, but none of them ever put the name of their God in their literature. You know, they were polytheistic. They were like, you shove your God up in here and hope it works. <laughs> but the Hebrews, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob birthed a people who says there's only one name we can put in here and know it'll work. Right. He's Yahweh. Yeah, right. The one who makes covenants and keeps them so you can trust in him trust in the lord in particular because he makes covenants and he keeps covenants if you want to want the good life you've got to trust that's at the core of this quest for the good life trust it's fundamental to the christian faith that we trust everybody knows that Hebrews says, without faith, which is a New Testament parallel for trust, it is impossible to please God. You can't live your life without a concrete reliance on the God who initiates. He uses the personal name of God to let you know this is the God who started it, the relationship with you. John 15, 16 says, wait a minute. Like, you didn't choose me, I chose you. You can trust in God because you didn't choose Him. Like, if He wanted to diss you, He just would have skipped over you. God said, wait, well, I don't understand. Like, I came to get you. But why do you think I'm going to leave you high and dry when I came to get you? And this is the reason why we don't believe in God choosing according to looking through the corridor and seeing you choose Him. Simply because they, like if he, he should have kept looking. Because the day you chose him, the next day you would choose the opposite. And in the next, oh, he oh, chooses me again. Oh, oh wait, but there we go. And before you know it, it would have been a long line of you not choosing the one that you just chose. That's that unfaithfulness that we must bind around our necks and put in our heart. But we just are, we're flawed. We don't do that well. Steadfastness of love leaves us. Faithfulness leaves us. He says, God, you can trust the Lord. You must trust the Lord. It's covenantal. He that began a good work and you will complete it. These are the things that we draw on because of our inability to keep ourselves. We're unable to spark the relationship with God. We're unable to keep the relationship with God. And so we're sitting here saying, I'm glad that I can trust in Him. I can't even trust in me. Whenever we try to preach a doctrine of the sovereignty of God, we do it understanding that, man, you ever see the werewolf movies where they like they have to like they can't walk free? They're like, oh my gosh, they chain themselves to the, the radiators or something like. You, mean you need to leave. It's a full moon tonight. Please hurry up. I feel it coming on. No, please trust me and take this gun and, and you may have to use it on me. And they, they chain themselves to stuff like... And so they, and they break out. And, I mean, it's like, that's us. Something stronger than us has to keep us. So God says, my hesed, my steadfast love and my faithfulness. But reflect that. Don't let that, don't just, well, you know, nobody can be steadfast like God, so I'm not going to be steadfast. No, he says, keep that, bind that, reflect that in your life. But at the core is a trust in the Lord and a lean not to your own understanding. You can trust because, well, trust means confidence. Secondly, you can trust because it's covenantal. And that is meaning that God sparked and initiated the relationship with you. Uh Uh-oh. God started in God I'm just kidding. God started it and God uh, will complete it. He will do what it is that He's decided to do, and we're going to see. it's going at the end of the day be good life. Not only is the trust covenantal, but it's to be complete. Look, verse five, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your understanding. The idea here is that it must be a complete trust. Once again, if you are saved today, you're not saved because you got a little Jesus and a little somebody else. You're saved because you cast all yourself on the Lord Jesus Christ and you're convinced all of my internals. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. But inner you, we have nothing else. we have no other word to talk about the core of our being. We talk, like, we know the heart, the organ of the heart. When I was young, I used to think that if they cut, like, their heart surgery on me, a little Jesus would be sitting in there. I literally used to think that. Now, you thought something crazy, too. Um, and so, I used to think, like, the hydrant just had a lot of water in it, but I didn't know about pipes that go underground. I used to think the ATM machines just had money just for days, and you didn't have to have money in the account. You could just go press it. A lot of crazy things, but same thing. I used to think Jesus was in my little heart, right? And so he says here, but that's because it's central, and you can't do it without it. He says the part of you that's deep down on the inside, trust with all your heart. This is, we're going to put this in perspective because the idea of trust in the Bible is always challenged by hardships, As soon as God gets a hold of you through His initiating, steadfast love, He puts you in something. Like, don't you wish God grabbed you and then just flew off with you and put you on His tree and just said, Come, friends, enjoy the new Eden up here. Like, He doesn't. soon as He gets you, trouble's right there. Like, but this is God. Like... God is like, that's me though. I like to expose your lack. I like to show off my faithfulness. I like to teach you. God has a God of process. Don't ask me why. So he doesn't just download it and zap you with great, like with with, with knowledge. You got to like learn it and you have to work it and you have to. But he's the one that's at work to pull it off. I got a dog, right? Named Solomon. I always wanted a dog. As a kid, he went, give me my dog. I never had a dog. Always lived in apartments, couldn't have dogs, all this stuff. Then when we finally got there, I had a couple cats. Now I don't like cats as much now I like cats, but let me tell you why I prefer dogs. Like I like cats. I don't don't get me wrong. Everybody like, he like cats. He always with them cats and I don't like bees. Woo Dogs display a pleasure. Dogs give me pleasure, right? It's something about a dog. They show me affection. They make me feel like I'm something. I mean, they... they, Like cats don't. Cats look at you like... Dogs be like... And so I got a dog and he's just, he's everything I hoped for. (laughs) But I still have to help him to, like he won't please me without me. So I had to come up with routines. I have to let him out at a certain time because when he, if he poops, I'm displeased. But I got to let him out just for him to poop. So I won't be displeased. And so it's, I mean, and he pees and he does all these things, and sometimes he jumps on the kids and does things that we're not supposed to do to kids. So I have to, I have to grab him and take him away so I won't be displeased. Well, this is the concept. Without trust or faith, the New Testament concept equivalent. It's impossible to please God, but you can't please God without God. And so he's sitting here and he's saying, son, on your quest for the good life at the core, the key is trusting in the Lord. You can do that. He's a, I said the Lord, I didn't put one of the Egyptian guys that even showed me how to craft my proverb, I didn't look at Mesopot- I didn't say the Mesopotamian gods who also helped me to hone my skill in terms of the form of my proverbs. I didn't say the Sumerian gods who also have proverbs that I sort of peeked at and said, "Yeah, that's a good one too." I said the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who is a covenant making. He initiates the relationships with us. Covenant keeping. He keeps the relationship with us. Trust in Him. He says, do it completely. And don't lean to your own understanding. He says, and and let me take it further. He says, in all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. All your ways. It not not only must be uh, uh, continuous. And it should be continual. Continuous and continual. He says, in all your ways, acknowledge him. See, the tendency is to let God run the religious section of our lives. It's to, yeah, but I got dating. But God's going to help me to become a pastor. Yo, I'm going to a regular college. So I don't need the Bible, the Godly content, and I don't need to retain, like, I don't need that where I'm going. If I was going to the PBU, I'd need that, but I go to temple, so I don't need that. So he says, in all your ways, acknowledge him. Not just the religious ways, not just the church ways, but in all your ways. Look what uh, uh, one of the guys who's like uh, one of the uh, great scholars when it comes to the proverbs says. This: there are details of character small enough to escape the mesh of the law and the broadsides of the prophets, and yet decisive in personal decisive in personal dealings. Proverbs moves in this realm. Asking what a person is like to live with or to employ, how he manages or her affairs, his or her time, and his or herself. He says, wait, Proverbs specializes in talking about the little small stuff that you just won't catch if you're just preaching the Law and the Prophets. Gets down to the nitty gritty, just like what time you get up. You should get up earlier, don't you know that? That is not a wise way to get the worm. <laughs> uh, yo, what like who are you messing with? What kind of girl is she? See, I know she's dope, but like, what about him? Like, he says Proverbs gets into that. So he says, in all your traveling through life, your ways. Ways in the Proverbs is roads or journeys. In all your journeys, all your expeditions, acknowledge Him. Now, acknowledge Him here does not mean I like to give a shout-out to the Lord on my way to get my girl. Like, that's not... I want to acknowledge Him. Acknowledge Him in this text means know Him. In all your ways, know Him. Know His preferences and know His presence... Right. And he will make sure you pass. So it means acting like, you know, God not only is there, but you know what God would like to see happen. And then on that road, that's how you do it. He says, trust in him. And in all your pursuits, know God and say, mm, I want to do that, but I know how God is. It should be like that. Like you think about it. Like where you know how God is. You, people say that you know how He is. Like, and that just means they know you. It says in all your ways, think about it. You know how God is. It says, what's His preference? What His presence? He says, and He'll make your straight your path straight. That's an idea. That not only, it's not just, it's not bending a crooked road. That's not the idea here. It's the idea of clearing a cluttered road. Removing obstacles. See, sometimes we rather God change the circumstance. God says, "Now nah, I'll just take away the thing that's hindering you from continuing on that road. I was hoping you just switch the road. Nope. Acknowledge Him and He'll declutter the road he says in all your ways and the reason why this is important is because it's hard it is hard to trust the lord because of our ways we have ways about us that clash with his ways but he says have confidence in the lord don't have confidence even in like in your way like have confidence in the god who's able to continue to keep you moving toward the good life. No him. Um, see, I just don't like God's timing. I don't, I, I don't like God's limitations. I don't like God's restrictions. Like God, I, I want to acknowledge you. I want to know you. And since I do know you, that's the problem. That's what Jonah said. I went my own way. Because I know how you are. You, you like to forgive people. You like to be slow to anger. I came into Nineveh. I was I was trying to like, hurry up and say, oh, y'all better judge you. They said, huh? I said, he didn't even want to get the message across. Then when God forgave him, he said, see, I know how you are. And he said that. He said, you steadfast love. And you keep that for, for other people. We know how he is. That will make us choose our own way because we do know how he is. But some of us don't know how he is. And so we just do what people do around us. I don't like the God's knack or God's tendency to say, wait. I don't like God's cross fetish. He always sees to want you to have a cross up in your life. Jesus, some cats, you got to take one like I got one. Like, that. you carry one. Why don't you just. Like, you like, I don't want to carry one too. But then when you start getting with the Lord, you'll say stuff, crazy stuff, uh, by the Spirit of God, like Paul that says, I want to know. That resurrection side of him, but I want to know that resurrection, that, that fellowship of his sufferings. I want to know what it's like to, to, to Paul one time. They said, Paul, don't do that because the, I see this somebody's going to bound and gag you. And he said, yo, man, don't yo bound, gag me, kill me. I'm ready to do it all for Christ, to live as Christ and to die would be gain. Be not wise in your own eyes. Verse 7. Fear the Lord and turn from evil. Bottom line here, when you know God and you know his presence and you know his ways, but you think you have a better plan for your life, and usually you will have a more comfortable plan for your life, but you won't have a better plan for your life. And so he says, the moment you think you know better than God, he says, don't be wise in your own eyes. Don't think you know something. My father used to say this to me, son, I... I'm just, I think I'm just a little smarter than you. <laughs> I'd be like, dang, why would you say that to a kid? But it was true. since you think you know. And the reason why, you don't want to be wise in your own eyes. Because that blocks you from fearing the Lord and turning away from evil. Real quick, do something for me. Uh, turn over to 1 Corinthians 16. Uh, Because this principle of not thinking you know better than God, not getting beside yourself, not being wise. Now, we all like the way this principle plays out in our tit-for-tat little affairs that we have. But the most critical place where human wisdom and this thinking they know more than God shows up is in God's grandest idea. God's wisest move in history, and it's called the gospel. And it says here, 1 Corinthians one sixteen: For the message of the cross, or the word of the cross, is foolishness or folly to those who are perishing, but to us, being saved, it is the power of God. He says, like, this is why you don't want to be wise in your own eyes and tell God, like, you don't know what you're doing. Because when you mess around and wind up at the cross... You'll think God's tripping just like you always think he's tripping. And he says, so the message to some people makes them say God's tripping. It's foolishness or folly. He says, but to us who is being saved, who are not wise in our own eyes, but admit, yo, we better lean on what you say. He says, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. God loves to make you look foolish when you tell him he's foolish. He says, verse 20. Well, I'm at 118. Oh, 118. Yeah, I'm sorry. You're right. 118. Starting with 118, uh, and then I went down to 19. And now I'm at 20. Where's the one who is wise? Again, in your own eyes. (laughs) Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? During the Greek uh, influence of the whole world, this was a... Everybody loved wisdom and loved debating and loved describing. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not come to know God through wisdom... It pleased God through the folly or foolishness of what we preach to save those who believe. He says it's critical that you don't think you know more than God because you'll get to the cross and say that can't be the way. You do what the Jews did and many did when Jesus Christ came to earth, that he came and he wasn't what they were looking for. And they say he can't be the one. Yeah, he was born in Bethlehem, but he can't be the one. Yeah, he's healing the sick, but it can't be him. Yeah, he's raising the dead. I know, I know, I know. But it can't be him. Like, like yo, wake up. So, don't be wise in your own eyes. Back to Proverbs. We're coming in for a landing. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh, verse 8, and refreshment to your bones. After each admonition... He dangles something that almost looks sort of worksish, sort of like. like and, but in their paradigm, listen, there's a correlation between God honoring you, uh, you honoring God and God and it benefiting you. It's not health and wealth doctrine that says, and right now God has no choice but to bless you because your faith. Like it's none of that. The Proverbs are generally true. I mean, how many of y'all have lung cancer from not smoking? Anybody? All right. Generally true. It'll be, it'll, it'll bring healing. It'll be, bring refreshment. How many of y'all have yellow teeth and you brush every day and you floss every day and use whitening strips? Like, this. I mean, like... You, like, so it's generally true. Now, somebody here would be like, well, I do, but that's because I have a, you know, a disease that has my teeth yellow. and But no matter how much I brush, no matter how much I floss, they're still yellow. We wouldn't be like, oh, we can't use that proverb. Like, you wouldn't because generally it's true. Ninety-nine of us brush, floss, and, and, and use whitening strips, and we have white teeth. You have a unique situation, but we can still use it. That's what the Proverbs do. Train up a child in the way she go. When he's, when he should he go. When he's older, he won't depart from it. Three people like, well, I did that and he departed. Like, throw that out the Bible. No, because like 2,000 people did it. They're like, see, it works. Like, the idea is that generally this is true. So it's healing. And the idea is that, that once again, this is that good life. It's what every young man who's wise would want. Every now and then we want what's inferior. When they tried to tell me, yo, man, get rid of those cassettes, they go to CDs, I was like, nah, they can't go to CDs, I'll never go to CDs, I love cassettes. <laughs> I had a whole box of them, like, I was like, man, you know how many, you know, I, like, it's too much music. I, and then before, I was like, shit, I was always like, I was fixing one as I was talking, no, and I'm telling you, you got to preserve these things, and, and it's twisted, ah, oh, man, but I'm just saying, but CDs are better. You tell people, yo, a life-pleasing God that leads to refreshment, that leads to long life, that leads to... It's better for you not to smoke weed and damage yourself. Not that it's better for you. Just blanket wisdom that would agree with God's wisdom. And people say, yeah, I know, but... He says, son, sit up under my teaching. Get that godly content in you. He says, reflect that godly character. Peace and shalom are given to those kinds of people. He says, man, but here's at the core, this is the key. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. This is God's world. His wisdom is going to show up. And when you swerve and think he's going to move, you're going to find that you lose. He says, acknowledge Him and your, on your travels, when you sit down at the board meeting, when you're in school, when you think about how do I get a, 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 a wife, how do I get a husband, how do I date, how do I plan for this, how do I... He says, know God in the situation and acknowledge and know His preference about the matter. She's dope, but she's unsaved. God's preference is that she be saved for me. And guess what? These are always authoritatively binding principles, not mere suggestions. Like, it's not like, like God would like me to, but, you know, he said, you make the decision because you're grown. <laughs> <laughs> Lastly, trust in the Lord will be concrete. Trust in the Lord will be continual and continuous, and last, it will be concrete. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Nowhere will the issue of whether or not you trust the Lord with all your heart and don't lean to your own understanding show up more probably for us than when it comes to what you value. The moment God snatched Abraham and initiated a relationship with Abraham and told him, yeah, I want you. You didn't choose me. Blah, I'm going to hook you up. You know what I'm saying? You're going to have peace and shalom. I'm going to do great things for you. And then he takes his son. He says, now kill him. God always tests whether or not this principle of you trusting in him, he always tests it by bringing something what will expose what your value is. Will you honor the Lord or will you go back to your own understanding and say, this doesn't make sense. I'm sorry, Lord. I want my own treasure. So he says, honor the Lord with your first fruits. Once again, it's this concept. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 6. He says, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And he says, look, and these things will be added to you. Now, a couple verses later, he was saying, yo, isn't life more than? So he was talking about this thing called life. The thing we all put the kingdom on hold for. We put God's wisdom on hold for life. But I'm married. But I got a, I bought a field. But I got some oxen. But I got a new dog. But I got a cat. (laughs) So he says, honor the Lord with your first fruits. And so when it comes to kingdom dollars, like what are you doing with your money? Does your money reflect that you know him and that you're trusting him? And so as we come in for a landing, there's a caution. First, he started with the quest for the Godly life and just use the good life, the good life which is always God's life for the for the the, the sage or for Solomon or for the wise. And Proverbs he says, "Yo man, he's always dangling an element of the good life before him as a motivation for being remain, remaining faithful." So he says, "Length of days and length of years and peace uh, if you do that." Uh, oh miss verse four. I am so sorry. Verse four just uh, uh, after reflecting God's character, the steadfast love and faithfulness, it says, so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. I missed that, but once again, he's saying, you know, you you and God will be in good relationship, and you and man will be good in relationship. You don't want to be sitting at home like, leave, well, at least God loves me. Boom, and everybody's egging your house and throwing it because you're just horrible on a human level, but you're great, you know, I just want to tell you what the Bible says. You know what I'm saying? Like, Nah. You say, yo, when steadfastness, a, a vertical and a horizontal uh, loyalty and faithfulness is happening, you, but God, thank you. Oh, man, Lord, I just I just sent your affirmation right now. Oh, praise the Lord. I'm glad you've seen that. I mean, like it will be like this like this meeting. Like, man, I just want to say, you've been an encouragement to me. Lord, you've been encouraging the people and it just be like, you feel it from both ends. Like the Lord Jesus, the Bible says he grew in favor with God and with man. How does God grow in favor with God and man? Well, as the ultimate God, He was demonstrating. Look, you do it right, God smiles, and other people smile. He go, <laughs> you sick. And then down here, it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones, physical healing, uh, and and goodness, strength. Again, it's not a promise, but it is a general principle that, that happens for the person who's godly, who, who basically does things God's way. Um, but then, look at this, a caution to those who pursue this good life. Um, my son, verse 11, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Once again, the exceptions to the rules on this journey happen. And sometimes it seems like, well, if all this I'm trusting in the Lord, I did it right. I didn't do everything right. That's what all of us would say. But I did it pretty much. I'm like you. Like faithfulness and steadfast love is a characteristic of mine. I try to to serve the church. I try to serve the Lord. I try to rig my life so that the kingdom is seen to be my priority. Every time I get my loot, I just I break God's off and I just think about something that will reflect that he is being honored. Honored here means to hold in high regard. I don't just like how much can I spare. I think what would look like he's honorable. And once I do that, I, I, I believe that he's able to meet my needs because he's the covenant keeping, covenant making God. But why does life feel so harsh on me? He says, well, if this is true about you, it's not because of suffering, because you're doing something wrong. Now it's another thing. Discipline. The Lord loves you so much. He got you in the gym. He got you on the treadmill. And you know, God, like God doesn't have a little belt you put around your waist that does your ab work while you're not doing ab work. (laughs) Have you all seen that? Yeah, so like I was saying, oh, I can't believe it. Look at my abs. None of that with God. He got you on the old-fashioned machine the kind that don't really kind of work, like that, that work you better. You know what I'm saying? And, and so God makes it clear, y'all. Uh, the caution is don't faint under God. Because some of us, we, we tried it God's way, quote, unquote. Then we went into this dark tunnel where his discipline was on us. And then we said, maybe I ought to rethink this. And we faint under his discipline and go back to our own way. Again, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible makes it clear that he is the wisdom of God. He infuses the wisdom of God. And it's him in us that gives us the power to imitate him like when he was on earth. And so the wisdom literature has this theme, the good life. It's going to be all through it. Shalom, peace, well-being. That's overflowing. Harvest plentiful. It's this thing called good life. But for the Solomon and the, 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 uh, the sages in the wisdom literature, the good life is the god life or godly life. It's rooted in his teaching being in you and his character being reflected from you. It's rooted in you trusting in the one who the object of your faith is required to be in. For the Jew, they would have said Yahweh. Nowadays, the Bible says that Jesus Christ has the name above every name. And so that the Bible says it is his name, the only name under heaven, under which we must be saved. And the Bible says he that believes in him is not condemned. Jesus says, I came as a tangible demonstration that God doesn't just shoot from a bullhorn, but that God enters into the human dilemma and demonstrates that he meets his own requirements and offers his perfection to people who would, uh, who, who, who would receive it by faith. And so he looks in here and he says, yo, like, if you think you're smarter than me, you will reject Jesus Christ. But if you turn away... And if God opens your eyes to see what some call foolish, the message of the cross, you will be saved. And so today we pray the trust will be at your core. Faith will be at your core. The faith that's connected to the God who is, the God who was, the God who is to come. And we pray that today you won't leave out of here just liking it religion we pray you won't leave out of here just thinking as long as I do the right stuff because again the proverbs like yo even bad people who do the right stuff may get some of these benefits but for them like that's impossible like they thought that was impossible they know it can happen but for them it sooner or later you're going to crash because God's world verifies God's principles and God is at the core of his world the earth is declaring his glory And to not be in a relationship with Him is to be missing what the Proverbs will often call the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the relationship with Him, knowing who He is. The Bible says that the Lord Jesus Christ comes. No one has ever seen God, Yahweh, but Jesus Christ, who's at the Father's side, He has made Him known. And so we cling to Him for our salvation. So we preach that to you today. We preach that uh, and for believers in Jesus Christ I don't know what your way is right now. I don't know what road you're on. I don't know what your circumstances are. I've heard, I know a few of you are going through a lot. The question is will you trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own bright ideas? Will you know him, know what he's like, and know that he's faithful in the midst of your way? Would you fear him, turn from evil? And the Bible makes it clear you'll be on your road and experience the good life, which is always God life. Heavenly Father, we bless your name today.